Being a Better Man, Episode 71, Storytime. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. In 1969, we put a man on the moon, and I was in second grade. I was seven years old. It was in second grade that I was introduced to a new activity. I fell in love with it immediately. I liked it even better than recess. It was called show and tell. I don't know if they still do show and tell in school. But what an amazing concept it was. For those of you who may not know, during show and tell, whoever wanted to, one at a time, would get up in front of the class and share some part of their life. Sometimes kids would bring something cool from home and talk about it. They'd pass it around and let other kids hold it. It could be anything from a picture of your uncle when he was in the war, a cool rock that you found, or your grandmother's gallstone. If you didn't have anything cool to show, then you could tell a story about your life, what your family did on vacation, or whatever. I think show and tell is awesome for a couple reasons. For one, it was a great way to really get to know your fellow classmates in a way that you wouldn't get to otherwise. It also got kids used to public speaking and being in front of an audience. Not only that, But when a kid brings something to school from his home or tells a story about his life and the other kids show appreciation for it, it does a lot for a child's self-esteem. Now, my show-and-tell career started out pretty much like everyone else's. I brought a few things I found at home that I thought was cool. My parents had some pretty interesting stuff, but somehow... I felt like I was only scratching the surface of my potential. So one day, instead of sharing something I brought, I told the class about a dream I had. I may have embellished it a little bit for the audience's sake, but the other kids loved it. In the next couple of weeks, I went through all my favorite dreams. But I was running out of material. I started to panic a little bit. I'd become addicted to the emotional feedback of my audience. So over a weekend, I racked my brain and I came up with a solution. I was an imaginative kid and I was always making up stories. So I would tell a story, not just any story, but a grand story, the kind you can't finish in one installment. Every day would be a continuation of the story until it was completed. When I was a kid, one of my favorite TV shows was Gilligan's Island, and I got a lot of inspiration from that. I suppose I should also mention that my teacher hated me. She really did. In fact, she hated all boys, and was reported to have even told a parent that. 
It was something everybody knew. Her dislike of me was palpable because I was as boy as you could get. And she'd grown tired of my show-and-tell style, and she was reluctant to call on me. She would call every other kid with their hand up, and then only called on me when everybody else was done. So I always went last. Then the entire time I was delivering my show-and-tell, she would either be rolling her eyes, shaking her head, or grinding the palms of her hands into her eye sockets. That's how I knew when I was really on to something good. So Monday came, and I was ready. I was called last, as usual. I got up in front of the class looking extremely serious. I paused for a moment for effect, and then I began. I started out by saying that as I was walking home from school one day, I found a book in the ditch. It was bound in human skin. I took the book home and started reading it. It turned out that the book was all about my family, and it said that we came from a long line of witch doctors. Keep in mind, we're only seven. But the book was full of spells and incantations and other magical enchantments. I said I tried some of the spells, and they worked. By this time, I had exhausted the day's allotted show-and-tell time, and we had to return to our regular lessons. But all my classmates were on the edge of their seats. They couldn't wait to hear what the spells were and what I could do. I told them I would continue telling the story the next day. My plan was working beautifully. You would think at least a couple kids would have said I was lying, but nobody did. They must have thought, who would lie about such a crazy thing? It must be true. So for the next two days, I continued the story. Each day, I would talk about a couple more magic spells I could do, thanks to my witch doctor ancestors. One was that I could temporarily turn the mean dogs on the end of my street into zebras and giraffes until I got past them. Another spell allowed me to be able to jump all the way onto the top of our house, and then I could just float back down. But their favorite one, the one that really got their attention, was the spell that let me turn dry leaves into money. I told that on Thursday. That day, during recess, and then again at lunchtime, all the kids in my class were bringing me armloads of dry leaves, begging me to turn them into money for them. I had to think fast. I instructed everybody to pile their leaves up out in the baseball backstop. Then I told them to meet me there during our last recess of the day. We had a lot of maple trees and alder trees around the school, and all their leaves from the year before were still littering the stand of trees they were in. So finding leaves was no problem, and there was a mountain of them by the time the last recess came. I looked out, and all the kids were waiting for me around the huge pile of leaves. I walked out confidently to join them, but on the inside, I was in full panic mode. This was getting out of hand. I walked around the pile, inspecting it, and then I let all my inhibitions loose, because I had to. I started dancing on one leg and spouting some sort of gibberish, and then the other leg. And then I fell to the ground and clutched two handfuls of dirt. I jumped back up and danced around the pile, sprinkling it on the leaves. Then I went around the pile, stomping my feet as hard as I could, first clockwise, 
then counterclockwise. Then for the finale, I looked up at the sky and screamed, and then I spit on the pile. And then I said, well, that should do it. There ought to be a big pile of money here tomorrow. I looked around at the other children, afraid I would see them scoffing or laughing, but instead they were all just in stunned silence. Some of their mouths were open. Apparently, I pulled it off. From the looks of it, they all believed they had just witnessed something supernatural, and there I was acting as though I'd just tied my shoe or something. The bell rang and everyone ran back to class. I could hear excited conversations between kids about what they were going to do with all their money. I was terrified. I didn't know what I was going to do tomorrow when they all ran out to get their fortune and those same old leaves were lying there. I was terrified, but I managed to mask it by appearing disinterested instead. When I got home that night, I considered talking to my mom about it and telling her the plight I was in. But then I thought better of it. Yeah, that probably wouldn't go over so well. Besides being scared, I just felt bad. They were all so happy and excited, and tomorrow they would be so disappointed. I enjoyed seeing that joy on my classmates' faces, and I so didn't want to let them down. How could I not let them down and also not seem like the biggest seven-year-old con man there ever was. After dinner, a notion occurred to me. I spun it around in my head a few times until it started to take shape. Yes, that was it. I had come up with a brilliant solution. I went to my piggy bank and I scraped a dollar out with my mom's nail file. Then I jumped on my bike and I rode to the school just as it was turning twilight. I went out to the backstop where the pile of leaves waited. In several trips, I returned them all to the stand of trees they came from, scattering them around so they looked natural. Then I took that dollar and wedged it into the chain link of the backstop, down low, about six inches off the ground. Then I got back on my bike and sped back home. I lived pretty close to the school, but the next day I rode the bus because I wanted to hear everything that was being said and most of the kids rode the bus. Everyone in my class was busting with excitement, and I was excited for them. They couldn't wait for the bus to stop, and when it finally did, they all jumped off and ran straight out to the backstop. I didn't run, though. I just walked calmly, as though I didn't have a care in the world. When I got to the backstop, I arrived at a very solemn scene. All the kids were standing there, silent, staring at the bare patch of dirt where the pile of leaves had been. I became alarmed then. I don't understand, I said. I know I did everything right. What could have happened? Then the questions started coming. Where are the leaves? Why isn't there any money? What happened, Alf? Maybe somebody stole it. That's when I saw it. I was staring down toward the ground, slowly approaching a spot in the corner of the backstop. Look here, everybody, I yelled. When I had everyone's attention, I continued. They did turn into money, but then the wind came along and blew them away. There's one of the dollars that got stuck in the fence. It looks like they were blown that way, I said, pointing to the woods. Seeing that one dollar stuck in the fence was all the proof they needed. They were excited again, not because the money was in their hands, 
but because they believed at least that it existed. Without another word, there were 25 kids out tromping through the woods looking for money before the bell rang. There were kids out in the woods looking for money for several days, actually, before the last one gave up. Surprisingly, I never got into any trouble about this. I guess no one told their parents. None of the kids were mad at me either. After all, you can't blame a guy for the wind. And the real surprise to me was that none of them ever asked me to do it again, like they all instinctively knew it was a one-time shot. And that's the end of the story. So what do you suppose I learned by this? What's the lesson that this story taught? Let's face it, I totally lucked out. If I had not thought of that solution, my name would have been Mud. My mouth almost wrote a check that my butt could not cash. As it was, though, there were no injured parties. Everyone had fun dreaming about their fortune, and it was fun for them to hope and believe for a minute. I didn't learn any lessons about not being deceitful, because I didn't start out intending to be deceitful. I started out with only the intention to entertain and have fun with a story, but then it got out of hand. And that's the real lesson I learned here. That words have power. It can be a power for good or a power for bad. But words have power. That power can also destroy the person who wields it if he allows it to get out of hand. With great power comes great responsibility. And even though I was only seven, I could feel the weight of that responsibility. I cared for my classmates. And I was on the verge of hurting them and disappointing them and making them feel lied to. Why? Because I did not yet understand the power of words. Under the right conditions, people will believe almost anything they're told, no matter how fantastic and unbelievable. Therefore, it's a responsibility of the person speaking to be aware not only of his words, but of how they are being received. I went on to tell a lot of other wild stories, but I never led people to believe me again if it wasn't true. To this day, I'm kind of a fanatic about words, because words mean things. And all the words we speak have power, and I think everyone has an obligation to use words as accurately and responsible as possible. If you look back on your life, how many times have your own words betrayed you? and got you into some kind of trouble. This is a reminder to use the power of words for good. You'll be happier, and you'll be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out. Oh, and P.S., another reminder, Being a Better Man t-shirts are now available. You can find them on the Facebook page or in the show notes of this episode.